Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, everybody? It's Will Cooper, and we're coming back with another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking how to hunt deer in the spring. Now, I know some of y'all might be thinking, uh, well, buddy, there's no deer season going on right now, man. Yep, I know that. But there's ways that we're still chasing after deer this time of year. You know, snow starting to melt, antlers are dropping and hitting the ground, deer doing some different things, or you're trying to see if maybe those deer left a sign behind to try and formulate a better game plan for the fall. Or you might have a new piece of property that you're trying to figure out. Or you had a buck that slipped past you, figured out he lived, and you're trying to put together a game plan for next fall so you can hopefully kill him. We're going to be bringing on special guest Josh Honeycutt to talk more in depth on this. I'm really going to be picking his brain on this, trying to find out what he's been doing this time of year. Now, Josh is a very, very avid deer hunter. And if you know anything about Josh... He's done a lot for Realtree in the past. He's been heavily involved in the outdoor industry, and he's got a lot of work that has appeared in different publications ranging from North American Whitetail, Whitetail Journal, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, and a lot more. You may have even seen him shooting some big bucks on TV. But nonetheless, Josh is a great, genuine dude. He's, you know, he's from Kentucky. He's hunted all the way from South Carolina to South Dakota, but spends most of his time hunting Kentucky now. But Josh is he's just a great overall dude and he's a heck of a killer and so we're going to be bringing Josh on to talk you know more or less this springtime scouting tips and tactics and so if if you've been kind of trying to figure that out for yourself and wondering what to do this time of year you definitely want to tune in this podcast because Josh is going to be bringing some helpful insight so we definitely want to say that we appreciate y'all tuning in there's a lot of other podcasts out there that you could be listening to so If y'all don't mind, head on over either to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, and make sure you go on there and rate and review that. That helps us out a lot. We really appreciate it. But nonetheless, we're going to dive into this podcast. Might go down a couple rabbit holes, but we hope y'all definitely take something from this, and we hope you enjoy. All right, Joshua, welcome to the podcast, man. We're excited to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Oh, can't complain, man. You know, like we're saying, if you did, nobody would want to listen, right? That's right. They don't care. (laughs) Well, man, we just want to thank you for taking the time to hop on the the Hunt Stand podcast with us. And today, I really want to dive into spring scouting. And I know the title of this podcast is going to confuse people a little bit, but we're going to title it uh, Hunting for Whitetail in the Spring. But before we we dive into that topic, I want to get the 30-foot tree stand view of who Josh Honeycutt is, and I want to let the listeners in on that. So tell us about yourself, man. 
Yeah, I'm I'm just a just a redneck from Kentucky who uh, likes to deer hunt and uh, turkey hunt as well, and chase small game and just do all things uh, outdoors. So, you know, I've I've been able to uh, turn that into a uh, a career in the outdoor industry, working as a um, outdoor writer. Started part time, uh, you know, kind of around the end of my high school days, beginning of college days, and I started working uh, as an outdoor writer and. And photographer, videographer, just all things communications, and uh, eventually that uh, led to a, a full-time career in, in the industry, uh, doing a, uh, a variety of things for a variety of uh, companies. I've been an employee for, uh, you know, companies such as the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, I've worked for, you know, real free camouflage, different companies. But uh, today I'm a, I'm a full-time outdoor writer working for myself, uh, doing traditional media work with magazines and websites and uh podcasts and, and and hunting shows and just a variety of different medium and uh, and also uh, i uh, run a uh, content marketing agency where i uh, partner with uh, companies in the outdoor industry awesome man yeah you can't complain much about yes, that got to turn your your passion into career who got you hooked on deer hunting and when did you realize that you wanted to follow that passion to make a career out of it yeah so i mean it is a family thing you know family you know just about most people in my family not everyone but but most people in my family do some sort of hunting and so you know it was just kind of osmosis there uh, as far as just being around it from from a very young age Uh, but you know it was one of those things where i uh I, I grew to, to really enjoy it. Um, you know, like other kids, you know, I enjoyed sports, played baseball, uh, played basketball uh, until a certain point, you know, but, but hunting was really what I truly cared about. And, you know, I, I wanted to, to, to do something with the outdoor industry. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I, I wanted to try to, to, to at least try. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I was excelled at the most, um, you know, in school was, was with, uh, you know, language arts and, and English. And so I found a, an avenue there to start out with, uh, as far as writing and editing, um, you know, and then just kind of went from there into, into all things communications. Got it. Got it. Well, man, I think that's kind of where a lot of people start is, you know, they love hunting. It's their passion. And they want to find out how they can turn that into a career. So kudos to you for, you know, getting that figured out and loving it, man. Yeah, thank you. So I want to dive into spring deer scouting or, you know, hunting for whitetail in the spring, whatever you want to call it. There, there's all these different rabbit holes of spring deer scouting, how to do it, what to do, where to go, what to look for. And not only I want to learn this for myself because me being from Texas, it's a whole different ball game down here when it comes to deer hunting compared to many other parts of the nation. So I want to learn this myself, but I want, there's a lot of listeners out there that I think overlook this aspect of deer hunting as a whole. Um, there's some people that take it very seriously, but I want to pick your brain on it and why spring deer scouting is so important. Yeah, you know, it, it is very important and there's a lot of benefits from it, um, you know, as far as, um, you know, what you gain from it, what it does for you. Um, and, and, and it's just it really it, it's just a lot of preparation work is what it is. You know, you're not going to, uh, you know, be as well off this coming next season. So the 2022-23 season, um, if you don't, uh, you know, conduct that postseason scouting. So, you know, I've, I've looked at a, a multitude of videos uh blogs articles out there before and it looks like a lot of people want to hone in and i want to kind of cover each of these topics but a lot of people hone in on when that first thaw or snow melt happens shed hunting bedding areas travel routes old rut signs so i kind of want to dive into it with you on you know, what are you looking for as soon as the snow melts? Yeah, so, I mean, everywhere is different. Uh, we don't get a lot of snow here. So, for me, you know, I'm not so much waiting on snow as I am waiting on just the right time. Um, you know, up north, obviously, you know, further north. And I do hunt places that, that get more snow, such as Ohio um, and, and other Midwestern states. But, uh, you know, for, for me personally, as just being in Kentucky, uh, obviously, when it comes to shed hunting, you, you know, you're just waiting on the right time and every 
you know, the further north you go generally, the, the earlier they start shedding their antlers further south you are, the later they do. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, every deer individually is going to be different. You know, injury can cause early shed. Uh, genetics, you know, it can genetically be an early shedding deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, just usually just, you know, from a Kentucky you know, typical, you know, lower Midwest, you know, Southern Ohio, Southern Indiana, you know, that type, you know, region, uh, that general region. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to start shed hunting around the end of February. Um, you know, I'll start middle of February. Um, but, but really, you know, when it comes to, I, I shed hunt and, and, and postseason scout simultaneously. That way I don't have to cover, uh, you know, ground twice. Sometimes I will cover ground twice, especially shed hunting. Um, you know, if, you know, the best areas and I'll, I'll check some open areas, food sources more than once. But, um, usually what I do is I will start that process by hitting the lowest odds places first because I still want to give those deer because, you know, when I first start shed hunting and postseason scouting, not all the deer have shed. Um, So I'll start in those lowest odds places first um, and and, and lowest pressure uh, places, you know, so I'll start in food sources, open areas, places that, you know, if it's private land places, I can check with a, with a vehicle uh, or, or full ATV or something like that. uh, That's, you know, that doesn't necessarily push deer out of the area. And then, so I, so I'm not knocking properties off one by one. I'm starting, you know, in general and hitting, you know, multiple properties at a time, um, you know, hitting the lowest odds place first. And then I work up and, you know, it gets later and later toward the end of February, beginning of March, middle of March, um, you know, that's when I start hitting those more sensitive areas, such as bedding areas, sanctuaries, staging areas, places that are closer to where deer spend their daylight hours this time of year. So when you say lower odds areas, kind of – Go into that a little bit deeper for me. What do you mean by low, low odd in areas? Yeah, well, generally, I find I find more of the sheds that I discover they're in. You know, they're closer to bedding areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may not be everyone's experience, but that has been mine throughout the years. Uh, most of the you know sheds that I find are you know in cover, so they might not all be in in actual bedding areas, but you know they're relatively close to those. Uh, and in places where if I'm you know walking around through there, you know bedded deer might see me, hear me, smell me or, you know, come through there and catch my ground scent later and potentially push them out of there before they have an opportunity to drop their antlers. So I tend to save those areas for later. Those are what I call higher odds shed find places. Uh, Lower odds because I don't find as many. I still find a lot of sheds out in the open. I shouldn't say that, you know, it's quote-unquote low odds, but it's lower odds than, you know, bedding areas, staging areas, places that, uh, you know, have cover. Um, so, so those are what I would consider lower odds, but, but, you know, a better term probably, like I said, is, is lower pressure. Um, and, and it just, you know, again, it's just trying to maximize the odds of, uh, finding as many sheds as possible, but you have to start that, you know, if you cover a lot of ground, which I have access to a few pieces of private, but I also do a lot of scouting on public land. And if you're going to cover all that, you know, as much land as possible, you know, you got to start that process before every single deer is shed or you won't ever get through it all. So, um, you know, that's why I start with the lower odds places first. And that also has to do with starting with the properties that I care the least about first. Um, and I do that because it just gives those properties that I know have, you know, some mature, you know, more mature target bucks that, uh, you know, I want to find sheds to. Um, you know, and, you know, obviously I don't want to pressure them either. Um, you know, even after the season, yeah. you know, it, so, so I save those better properties, you know, toward the end of the process. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how important for spring scouting, you know, when, when you're looking at shed hunting or you're looking for bedding areas, how important is e-scouting for you? Yeah. So I do a lot of that with, with, with new properties. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I look at maps all the time, even properties that I've hunted for years, but, mm-hmm. um, it's especially important for hunting new properties, you know, cause, and I, and I, that's something that I do during the off season. I have a goal of scouting at least one new large public land area each off season. That's my goal. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if not more, and, and that starts with e-scouting, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a bit like, as we know, this, you know, this is a hunt stand podcast. I use it quite often. Um, you know, I look at it daily and it's just one of those things where you really gain a lot by e-scouting. Um, you can learn, it really just saves you time just from that, that off season scouting perspective, because it allows you to kind of focus on, uh, areas that you know, you won't want to walk, you know, maybe it's some, a place that, you know, like, for example, you're not going to do a lot of postseason scouting on a North facing slope, not say that you won't scout those areas, 
But if you're just purely shed hunting, you're going to spend more time on south-facing slopes because they get more sunlight in the wintertime. That's where deer bed down oftentimes is they get more direct sunlight, stay a little bit warmer. Um, you know, so, so you, you know, it just basically helps prioritize things. Yeah. Uh, whether you're prioritizing what order you want to scout a place in, uh, if you know you just don't want to go, you know, spend any time, say you're going on an out of state scouting mission on some public land and you know that there's particular areas you just won't have time to cover, um, you know, and you, you want to set, you know, go, go after the better spots. Well, you know, ski scouting helps you figure out where those might or might not be without actually having boots on the ground, whereas you're kind of going in blind if you don't e-scout. Gotcha. So when you're going in looking at a new piece of property that you've never put never put your boots on the ground, how are you finding these bedding areas? Like what are you looking for on the maps when searching for bedding areas to go in and try and find sheds? Yeah, so there's different types of bedding. Um, you know, generally more times than not, deer are just going to be bedding in the thickest, nastiest stuff they can find. Yeah. You know, that's that's just where they're at. So the thickest, nastiest cover you can find, that's where they're going to be bedding at. If it's super mature t- timber, uh, and you can kind of tell, you can't always tell, but a lot of the times you can tell how thick it is based on, you know, how, you know, especially if you're using an aerial map. Right. Uh, there's certain different layers in hunt stand that show the canopy a little bit better than others. Um, um, but, but you can definitely use different layers in the app to determine which ones look like more mature timber, which ones look like, you know, more early successional habitat. That's, that's, you know, a lot younger as far as the, the, the successional clock goes, uh, thick, you know, cover you want stuff with a high stem count, basically limited visibility as far as seeing through it. If you can see a long ways through it, they're probably aren't going to bed there. If you can only see 10, 15, 20 yards, you can, you can bet they're going to bed there, but there's different types of bedding. Uh, you know, just general thick cover is obviously what you're looking for, but you know, you can break it down into other categories as well. Like I said, South facing slopes, you know, that's that, you know, most people refer to that as solar mm-hmm. bedding because you're getting that direct sunlight. There's also thermal bedding, which is going to be, you know, based on conifer stands. You know, if you have dense pockets of cedars, pines, spruces, um, you know, different conifers that hold their foliage throughout the year, throughout winter as well, that helps hold heat. It helps shield them from snow and rain, helps shield from wind. And oftentimes those areas are a few degrees warmer, um, you know, than the surrounding areas that, that, that are, you know, hardwoods based because they do help shield from the elements. And so deer like to bed there as well. And so that's, you know, called thermal cover. But, um, you know, there's just lots of different t- types of bedding. Um, you know, whether it's solar, thermal, just thick, thick cover. Um, and like I said, a lot of the times deer like that thick, thick cover because they don't, especially in wintertime, they don't prefer that during early season. Sometimes during early season, they might prefer a more open area when it's hot. Um, you know, they want, they they want that area. They want to breeze. They might bed at lower elevations, um, because they want to be closer to those low lying areas where it's cooler, closer to water. Um, whereas during the late, you know, in in late winter when it's cold, they want to be at higher elevations. So typically you'll find them at higher elevations uh, in the winter time. That's another thing to think about. Um, you know, but, but like I said, you know, they, they do prefer that thick, thick cover with a lot of early successional habitat and growth, high stem count because they don't like to move very far in winter. They're trying to conserve calories, conserve energy. And so, you know, they, they want their bed and food to be as close together as possible. So they burn as few calories as possible. And you can get both whenever with a really high stem count, early successional, uh, growth type area because they can bed in that and feel safe and secure. And they can also feed on that because this time of year, there's not a lot of options out there, especially in places that I hunt, like southeastern Ohio, where there's not much ag or grain or anything yeah. like that. You know, they can get that browse that they rely uh, rely on and need, especially this time of year. Gotcha. So my question then is, you know, how – obviously it sounds like depending on the piece of property, depending on the area – they could have a completely different bedding area in the fall then is kind of what I'm understanding. Yeah. yeah so, so my experience, no matter where you hunt and I've hunted, you know, the, the swamps of South Carolina, the plains of Southwestern Kansas, um, you know, here in central Kentucky where it's not mountains, but rolling hills and fields, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mountains and foothills of Ohio, everywhere I've ever hunted, I have noticed that, deer are constantly changing where they bed uh very few properties you know you might see deer bed in a particular bedding area you know that you know they might use a particular bedding area throughout the year but more times than not especially the mature bucks who are taking up 
the best of the best betting. And, and then you obviously you filter down, you know, does and younger bucks are going to take the subcategories. But, um, you know, the, the mature bucks, if that's what you're after, they're going to take the best of the best of what the area has to offer. And that's going to change throughout the year based yeah. on what their needs are at the time. And there's factors that are involved there, such as time of year, which is which is temperature, weather, um, hunting pressure, f- available food sources. Um, you know, wind direction at the time, because that influences where deer will bed oftentimes based on what the wind direction is, because it's a security based thing. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors that, that, that play into, to, to help a deer decide where it's going to bed on a given day. And that can change daily, especially in big timber and hill country, mountain country, where there's endless cover or at least seemingly endless cover. Um, there's more options there. So you're going to see a greater variance in where deer bed, especially, um, in areas like southeastern Ohio where you have a lot of different cover options uh, in places like the Midwest where it's just pockets of timber here and pockets of timber there and most are open obviously they're going to be more limited so it's, it's really geographic based it's time of year based but bedding opportunities or bedding areas oftentimes change throughout the year based on what deer need in that given time got it got it so another topic that I saw a lot of people talking about when it comes to spring deer scouting is you're looking for travel routes. You know, you're, you're looking for old travel corridors because there's a multitude of factors that the those travel routes of what they can tell you. So, I mean, is that something that you're looking for quite often or you're just primarily focusing on trying to find bedding areas? So I'm on the private properties that I that I at hunt are generally small. They're they're let 200 acres or less. Yeah. Um, most of them are anywhere from 50 to 100, and I scour every inch of those properties. I literally grid search the entire property. Yeah. Um, and so I'm covering everything. I'm looking for bedding areas, travel routes, staging areas, food sources, water sources, and something that I personally like to do is turn my tracker on, and and it follows me. Uh, but but I don't I don't turn it on when I'm doing that the entire time. What I like to do afterward if if time allows is go back and walk with the tracker on walk every trail that i can find inside of bedding areas inside of transition areas staging areas travel routes no matter what type of trail it is i walk the trails with the tracker on and i always stay on a trail that way uh, i'm not having false lines but what that does is after the fact when i've walked that entire property and walked every trail that i can possibly find it then lights up you know, on that app on HuntStand, yeah. the the entire trail network on that property, and so what you'll see by doing that is it'll identify, uh, a, you know, heavier intersections where you might have two or three or four or five or however many trails that come together. Um, you know, it, it just shows you how they're really traversing maneuver that property, and it's going to help you identify not only how they use it, but how you should use it as a hunter. So um, that's really. The best thing you can do when you're postseason scouting is, hey, how does a deer use this property? And that's one way that I like to figure out, you know, the, the, how they do that. It paints a picture, it lets you visualize it. And simultaneously, while I'm also doing, um, uh, you know, this, the, this postseason scouting, when I'm out there just grid searching, which, again, I don't have the tracks on when I'm grid searching. Well, I do. I do uh, because it helps me see where I've been and where I haven't been. But what I like to do while I'm on that first run, um, if I have time, which I don't have time for every property, but if it's an important property that I really want to focus on, I'll do that first run of the property uh, with the tracks on just to grid search the entire place. Um, and then after I'm done, I delete those tracks out. So, you know, they're just, just, just there to, to show where I've been, where I haven't been. And then I'll mark all the findings, you know, with all the different hunt stand icons that are available, such as scrapes, rubs, you know, tracks, trails, whatever it might be at the time, some, anything of interest. And then I go back with those markers still in place. I'll go back and I'll do uh, uh, the, the charting of all the trail networks. And then with all of that available, it lights up. Um, and then I'll take a screenshot of that or else, you know, I'll, I'll just save it as a new layer or whatever, my, you know, how, however you want to do it. Yeah. Um, but then that vi- helps visualize exactly what deer are doing on that property. I like that. I like that. It's got me thinking about my piece of property right now. <laughs> so another thing that I really saw was – old rut sign, you know, utilizing old rubs. If you can find some of those older mock scrapes, just old rut sign. Are you keying in on that a lot during the spring or, you know, what are you looking for that to tell you? Yeah. So like 
Basically, postseason. You need you need to do both postseason scouting after the season ends, and you also need to do summertime scouting. Um, and those plans look different for me personally. Okay. Um, you know, postseason scouting. I am focusing on pre rut rut and late season uh, because obviously the the rut sign you can find which deer will rub and well they don't rub year round they rub when they got their antlers on but right. but they'll scrape year round. Um, it's not as frequent or as heavy, but deer do scrape your round. So, but, but, but I, what I'll basically do there is I'm looking for those, you know, those rubs and scrapes from the previous season. So that helps me identify where deer were spending the tail end of the pre-rut and the rut, because most rubs are, are laid down during the pre-rut. And, you know, there, there are some that are laid down during the rut too, uh, but a lot of those are laid down during the pre-rut, especially the tail end of it right before the rut kicks off. So that helps me kind of identify where deer spend time during the pre-rut and the rut, um, you know, and where I find sheds, where I find the most recent tracks and trails that are maybe a few days, few weeks old, are telling me where deer spend time during the late season. Um, and, and so that really helps. Of course, I have cameras that, that stay up throughout the season. Some of those I'll check during the season periodically to, to, to help me in my hunting. But a lot of those cameras that I actually put up mm-hmm. never get checked, and they just they just soak all season long. And so a lot of what I do just to minimize pressure as far as trail cameras go, because I don't like to check every single trail camera that I have, especially those that are further back in cover, closer to bedding areas and staging areas. Um, you know, a lot of times if I do happen to check one of those, it's because it's on my way into a tree stand. But but I'll let those soak throughout the year, and what that does is it tells me how individual deer use the area but as a whole tells me how the herd uses as well and that's applicable just in general so you know say you've got a big deer that's in there next year maybe a new deer might be a return deer but regardless how deer use the property while it can change from year to year oftentimes it doesn't just you know in general terms because the you know whatever most mature buck is in there this next year is going to be taking the best bedding that was being used by the most mature buck the previous year. So um, you know so this, you know it's just one of those things where yeah trail cameras are good for in real time you know use but it's also when you go back through and look at cameras that soak in those most sensitive areas um, you know you get that that historical data that's going to be applicable unless the landscape changes is going to be you know applicable each year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I want to touch on what you're just talking about with mock scrapes. Um, Cause this is kind of a not really talked about thing in Texas, if you will. But you know, this past year I got to go hunt in Nebraska for the first time where, you know, obviously there, there's no baiting. There's, you can't even use anything like your big and J or, you know, no powders or anything like that. Not even salt licks or mineral licks. Um, so we were making a lot of mock scrapes, but something that I've been doing some research on is there's people that use mock scrapes year round. So is that something that you do to kind of help during this uh, post post uh, season spring scouting time? Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, like I said, deer scrape year round. So mock scrapes are going to be valuable year round. Um, you know, I'll put my cameras, I take them down while I'm postseason scouting and shed hunting just to clean them up. You know, I run about 40 to 50 cameras each year just on across all the different areas that I hunt. So I'll have anywhere from five, six, seven of those tear up on me each year and have to either fix them or replace them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do pull them down, but I'll put those back up in June, except for certain public land properties that have restrictions on when you can and can't put them up. But, but in general, especially on the private lands that I hunt, those, those get put back up in June uh, at the latest early August, uh, or excuse me, early July. And, and if, you know, if I do happen to want to run mock scrapes, uh, not to say that I won't create those in season as well from time to time as needed, but generally if I'm going to do a mock scrape, I'll go ahead and jumpstart that. Um, you know, when I put those cameras back out in the summertime, cause deer will scrape your round and it, you know, if I, it just gives deer a lot time, more time to get used to that disturbance that I put out there, um, you know, by, by making the moss great, putting up the trail camera, this, that, and the other. Um, it gives them months rather than days or weeks to, to recover from that human intrusion. And a lot of, and I'm not a biologist, but I do enjoy, you know, reading over a lot of the biology reports that come out and research reports that come out from all the different, you know, Whitetail University in the country uh, or universities in the country, such as Penn State, uh, Auburn, you know, uh, Texas A&M, all the different, you know, Mississippi, all the different, you know, popular ones and and, and biggest ones. But, um, you know, there's a lot of research that suggests that it takes anywhere from two to three weeks for for deer to, to fully recover from human intrusion. You know, they might be back in there in a few days, but for them to fully go back to normal, it can take three, uh, up to three weeks for that to happen. 
happen. Wow. Um, and, and so that's why I like anything that's super intrusive. I like to get it done in the summertime. So most of the tree stands hanging that I do, is going to be done in the summertime. Like I said, I'll do it in season two if I need to, if I, you know, if I deem that it's important, but just in general, as far as getting the bulk of my tree stands hung and stuff like that, I'm doing way in advance, uh, as, as early as possible. Yeah. Heck, I know we're talking about doing that here in the next couple of months. Just, you know, we've got a small parcel of land that we hunt on here in Texas and, we're talking about doing that in the next few months because I've seen that where I may have gone in too late and hung something up and it just boogers them up for, you know, a good portion of the season. So lessons learned. Yeah. It, yeah and every deer herd reacts differently. That's, that's something that I've noticed. Even, even in the same area, like, like for example, I've got two or three properties that I hunt here at home, you know, close to home. And uh, every single one of those properties, the deer herds react differently to, to, to hunting pressure. So I've hunted them for years and I know how deer react. And, and there's one property in particular that you bump a deer once and, and it just screws things up. But, but there's, you know, the, the other two you know, properties are different. You know, one of them, you know, you can apply much more pressure and they just seem to, to absorb it. So um, it's, just, it's just weird how that happens, um, even in, on properties that are relatively close enough to one another. But, uh, but yeah, the earlier the better. You know, this is a great time of year. Um, like I said, I do like, I don't always do it. So I'd, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I did, but I do safety checks on all of my tree stands every year. Uh, I like to pull as many as I can down. I don't always get every single tree stand pulled down, but it is good and proper to do so. That way you can do, you know, really in-depth um, maintenance and safety checks on them, make repairs. If they're beyond repair, throw them away. Um, but at the same time, I like to get tree stands up this time of year as well. Like you just said, y'all are getting ready to do that. Yeah. Um, simply because this time of year, you know, I, you know, cause if you're going to hang a tree stand, you're going to have to cut shooting lanes, you know, unless you're on public yeah. and this is the best time of year to do that. Because a lot of the times if you cut shooting lanes in the summer, which if I'm cutting in a tree stand, I still cut shooting lanes in cause it needs to be done. But the best time to do it is now because it's very easy to re- remove too much. Um, uh, you know, when you're cutting, shooting lanes in the summertime when the leaves are off and then all the leaves fall and you're like, Oh, I'm exposed. So yeah. it's just one of those things. Yeah. Cause now you still, you know, you're essentially going to be hunting in the same type of cover, if you will, rolling into the fall after all that summer growth and everything has kind of died off after freezes. Yeah. And, and like we were saying, like I, my summertime, my post I do a lot of postseason scouting. Some, the, the first phase is February, March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second phase is in the summertime. And, and that looks a lot different. And that's a long discussion in and of itself. But 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 the, like I said, the, the postseason scouting right after the season ends, that's really targeting pre-rut rut and late season um, for the following year. And then summertime is, is targeting well, it takes inventory of, of what deer have already returned, which some of them won't return until they shift in the fall. But um, it at least tells you what deer might be there or probably will be there for the early season. And, and summertime scouting is really what drives me as far as my early season plans go. Um, and, and I like that. You know, I'll be honest, early season is my favorite time of year to deer hunt. I prefer it over the rut. I prefer it over the late season. That's when I've had the most success. Uh, most of my biggest bucks are early season deer. Um, I've, I've, I've shot, I think, uh, from 2015 to 2018, I shot three different velvet bucks. And, and let's see, 2015 was a velvet buck. 16 was not. It, I, I did arrow in a velvet buck that year, but uh, was non-lethal and the deer survived. And then 17 and 18 were we're velvet deer. I just, I just prefer it. I just prefer it over um, the other times of year. But the summertime scouting I do is what drives that part of the season. So, so it's it's different. You can't, you know, just because you find a shed in a bed this time of year, doesn't mean he's going to be there during the early season. Right. But there's a good chance that that's going to translate to next late season, um, because whatever they were doing at the end of deer season is probably what they're doing right now. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought up some velvet deer hunting because that was, you know, we're, we're talking spring uh, scouting and everything or postseason scouting. But I wanted to talk about, you know, when I was doing a little bit of research on you and I've seen this giant 170 inch velvet eight point that you shot with your bow early season. Tell, tell us about that deer, man. That was a freaking giant. That was a stud. Yeah, he he's he's uh, he's a pretty cool deer. Um 
you know, whenever I green scored him, he was right there at 170 gross. Um, you know, I think officially he ended up being in the mid 60s, but of course he lost a little bit when he when he uh, uh, you know dried up after the drying period. Especially velvet deer, they do that. But yeah. uh, and I also probably stretched the tape a little bit more. But uh, but yeah, he ended up being <laughs> who doesn't right? 60s. Yeah, yeah, right, right, All right. Fishing, you know, we're, we're fishermen too, and we got to tell a good tale. So oh yeah, um, you know, but yeah, he ended up being officially in the mid 60s uh, for gross, and um, would have been he would have been. He would have been net, you know, 170 if he hadn't had a little bit of a damaged G2. He's got a little acorn tip halfway up his his, his right G2, yeah. which he damaged uh, at some point during the growing phase. So if not for that, he would have netted officially netted around 170. Oh. But uh, but he uh, he's a he's a pretty cool deer, yeah. And he's a deer I followed for two seasons. Uh, shot him in 2018. He showed up actually showed up uh, in 2017 for the first time. I got a trail camera picture of him a couple of weeks after I shot my velvet deer in 2017 and he showed up in the exact same spot. And, um, and what's interesting is, you know, this is another discussion for another time, but, you know, figuring out the X, so to speak, every property, especially small properties are only going to have one or two quote unquote X's or kill spots that consistently produce. Yeah. And, uh, my velvet deer in 2015, uh, the velvet deer I shot in 2017 and then this big velvet eight in 2018 were all arrowed on the same 50 acre property and within probably 75 yards of each other. So, Dang. uh, so, so that's another discussion and, and something that you can learn over time hunting a particular property. Um, you can also help, you know, reveal where these locations are at when you do these postseason scouting, whenever you look at trail cameras that soak, from for you know throughout an, an entire season yeah um so it's not something that you learn immediately but hunting a place over time scouting a place over time you can reveal um where these locations are at and that's really what led to me uh being able to arrow that big eight pointer so with this deer showing up you know how, after you shot another deer how or let me rephrase this was spring scouting or postseason scouting uh crucial and part of the process in killing this deer yeah well it wasn't the postseason scouting wasn't so much important for this deer uh simply because like i said he was an early season deer i knew that he trained well i monitored this deer for in 2017 after i filled my tag obviously i couldn't hunt this deer so i just had to watch him um but i monitored him on trail cameras I, i you know i think i ended up getting probably 10 12 maybe 15 daylight pictures of him on the property uh, throughout the rest of the season. So not super regular, um, uh, you know, and, and it is a small property, you know, it's 50 acre, uh, a 50 acre property and only probably 25 acres of it is, is cover. So really, you know, it's even less huntable ground. Um, but, um, you know, it was interesting, you know, the biggest factor for killing this deer was early season, or excuse me, uh, preseason scouting, not postseason scouting. So summertime scouting with trail cameras um, was very important because I put up trail cameras and I monitored those. Now, yep. you know, I was very careful. I never put my feet on the ground and I kept trail cameras on the perimeters of fields. That way I could drive up to them with the truck. I didn't even want to take an ATV in there because it was louder. I would drive my truck up, open the door, pull the car, close my door. You know, you know, very, very non-intrusive because I knew that deer was bedding pretty close. And uh, so, so figuring, figuring out what he was doing was was key. Knowing that the particular area that I arrowed him in was kind of where everything comes together on that property was key, and I already knew that uh, from previous years. But, you know, a big thing was I started out because this deer, you know, he was on a daylight pattern all summer long. And about a week before season, he kind of shut down and started going dark. And I was looking mm-hmm. at nighttime pictures. Well, I thought, well, he's already shifted uh, to a new bedding area uh, or he's doing something different. Well, it turned out he really wasn't. Um, I didn't even hunt the deer the first couple, the first day of the season, I think. Uh, maybe the first two days of the season. I can't exactly remember now. It's been too many years. But I, I know I didn't hunt him opening day um i don't think but but i did end up going in there maybe the next day and and i did some observation sits and started out just kind of back off the deer realized that he hadn't changed his pattern all that much but he was just changing just slightly enough that he was missing cameras and so he wasn't coming back through and hitting those cameras until way after dark after you know been you know out doing his business so you know you know when it comes to early season 
especially when deer are on patterns, you know, you can get as much of that figured out during the preseason as you can. But sometimes, you know, to fine tune that game plan, especially in areas where you can kind of hunt observation sits, but you can't do that everywhere, you know, but that is really the, the final point of your preseason scouting in summer that you pull together. Whenever you finally do start hunting that deer that's on a pattern, you're going to have to do some, uh, or, you know, you won't always have to, but you might have to do some observation sits to pull the rest of that scouting plan together yeah. to create that opportunity. I love it, man. So going back to our postseason spring spring scouting for the listeners out there what would you say is probably that one to two pieces of advice that you would have for them going into that right now you know we're starting to get some snow melts in some parts of the country there's a lot of other parts that they're covered in snow and they will be for the next month or so but what would you say from your perspective or one to two good pieces of advice going into that spring deer scouting. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I'm, I'm trying to figure out, especially with my trail camera pulls, the last card pulls is figuring out what deer lives through the season. You aren't going to know the, all of that information, uh, but you can try to pull that as much of that together as possible. And so what you're doing this entire off season with postseason and summertime scouting is you're pulling together game plans. And something that I do throughout the years, I'll go back through and look at all the metadata. That's what I call it anyway. It's not true metadata, but that's what my, my reference to it um, from every single daylight trail camera picture i had of a mature target buck and i will look at everything that's associated around that timestamp, such as direction of travel or what the date was but yeah. in direction of the date time morning or afternoon you know where he was coming from where he was going to what the wind direction was on that particular uh siding that way i can kind of identify okay he was using this bedding area on this particular wind he was going in this direction on this particular wind and deer don't always walk with their nose into the wind you know they'd all be on a beach somewhere if that was the case oh yeah but but, but 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 they do use it to their advantage and they're they're very big on sometimes when it's when it is convenient they'll walk into the wind or they'll use a crosswind whatever it might be deer are smart they know where tree stands are located uh oftentimes especially if they've picked you off in one um but uh, you know that's that's what i'm doing I'm looking at all that information and then i'm pulling together game plans for the following season for each phase of the season so if like if i know a deer is going to be there during the early season that's his mo that's what he typically does i'm going to create some game plans around that particular deer for that time of year if it's a deer that likes to stay all season long i'll have game plans for that deer based on what he typically does throughout each phase so early season pre-rut rut late season now obviously all these plans aren't going to come together and you've only got one tag maybe two tags depending on where you're hunting or if you're in the south you'll have more but uh you know being able to have all these game plans already on paper and i do like to write them down just so i don't forget them one of those is going to come together you know more more likely than not and, and if you've got two tags then hopefully two of them come together but having all of these in place you know helps you kind of really put it down and remember what your, your game plan is come, uh, come season. And of course, obviously, you know, what happens in real time, you're going to have to adjust these things. You know, you're not living, you know, it's not written in stone, but it's a starting point and having that starting point based on what you find and discover during the postseason here. Um, and during the early season or preseason this summer, all of that coming together is going to give you a starting point for the following year, uh, which is really all you can ask for. Got it. Got it, man. Well, I think these are all great, great tips for all the listeners out there, especially just for the time of year that we're going into. You know, deer seasons are pretty much done across the nation with the exception of some MLD properties here in Texas. But for majority of folks, deer season's done, and now everybody's starting to think about thinking about next year. And I know for sure I, I definitely want to get you on here to talk some more summer scouting stuff You know, right before – uh, season kicks into high gear in you know late August, early September. So I know we're definitely gonna have to get you on the podcast again, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And the only other thing I would say right now is don't you know when it comes to this postseason scouting, yeah. don't think you know everything about the property you've been hunting, even if you've been hunting it for twenty years, because things can and they do change. They change annually. Uh, you know the big things stay oh, yeah. the same as long as habitat hasn't. But you know that's something that I've messed up on in the past. You know I didn't postseason scout a property like oh it's going to be the same next year, and then I went in there and found oh goodness they've made some changes here. You know whether yeah. somebody come in and they, they did this or they did that, and then you know it's a whole new ball game. Yeah. It, it starts it starts at zero. So um, you know things change. 
change, you know, even on properties that you've known for a long time, especially if it's a property that you have permission on or you lease and you don't own, yeah. um, you know, then, then there's going to be more opportunity to power odds of something changing there without you knowing it. But, uh, but yeah, but there's, I mean, even storm damage, you know, we've recently had a lot of storms here yeah. the past few months here in Kentucky um, and, and that can change things. If tornado comes through and starts ripping, you know, hardwoods apart, that just created a whole new bedding area. It might take a year or two for it to grow up and thicken up, but that's a new bedding area a lot of times because they like that early sexual growth. So that, that's just one of those things. Just, um, just, just don't don't think you know what's going on, even if you've been there for a long time, because things can change. Dude, I, that happens to me all the time at our place. You know, we've got 200 acres here in Texas, but really only about 80 to 100 of it is actually huntable because all the front part of it is all just coastal fields. And uh, it seems like every year, you know, I think I've got them dialed in, got them figured out. Then the next year rolls around. Like this past year, these deer threw me for a loop. I, you know, completely different than what they had normally been doing. They were going on different travel routes, and it just it threw me for a loop, man. It did. They change up every year on this place. Yeah. Yeah, and some properties are like that more than others. Some properties, you know, it's just like, oh, they do this, they do it that way every single year. Other properties are seem more random. It's just, it's just weird, you know, how do how you know deer herd from deer herd to deer herd and from property to property. Oftentimes things change and, and or, or are different, you know, whether it's that aspect or it's the hunting pressure aspect or whatever it is. You know, it, it is interesting how how unique they are. Yeah, because you know the the weird thing about it was we typically we've got two fields that we typically plant oats in because uh, this is I wouldn't necessarily say it's a working cattle ranch we've got cattle on the property and uh we've got some other family out there that they bale the oats and the deer love that and uh we didn't plant any this past year because we've got pigs out there that they've just been tearing up everything and I actually think I think the pigs probably had a big part in why these deer were so different because the year prior I think we only had one or two pigs rotating through the property but this year there was anywhere between i'd say 40 and 60 pigs just rotating through our property as well as three other neighboring pieces and so i noticed that these deer were spending a lot of time up in one of these fields there was no oats planted but i think it was just probably some leftover from last year that sprouted and just some browse that was out there, but they had spent the majority of their time up there like they had never done in the past four or five years. It was strange. Yeah, it's very interesting for sure, you know, how things influence that. And and one other thing that came to mind that I meant to mention and, and failed to is, you know, as you said, we're doing this postseason scouting right now to put together mm-hmm. game plans. But, you know, on, I'll put out permanent you know, quote unquote permanent uh, or uh, tree stand locations that, that I, you know, may or may not get used come the next season. Yeah. You know, I'm also very mobile. I have a set that I just, you know, used to hang and hunt and stuff like that. But, um, you know, figuring out these stand locations is really what all that's about, that postseason scouting, especially, you know, when you're establishing permanent historical stand locations that you know are going to be good from year to year. Uh, you know, getting those hung during the off season is good too. But one thing to think about is that that tree stand is only as good as it's entry and exit route and there have been so many times that i've found all oh, this is a dynamite spot this is a spot this is going to be a killer spot every year and then come to find out it was not simply because i could not get to that tree stand without pressuring deer or i couldn't get back out without pressuring deer and if you can't get there without pressuring deer it's good for no sets if you can get there but can't get back out it's good for one set so yeah um you know and, and but that is something that i had that, that, that also varies based on property based on geographic location um you know obviously in the midwest where deer are a little more or, or southeast or or somewhere where you've got pockets of cover it's easier to pressure deer out of the areas there and push them onto new properties because they they have fewer bedding area options and so obviously that changes from from place to place and obviously i worry a little bit less about pressuring deer in huge big woods, big timber areas, not because I'm, I'm not worried about pressuring them, mm-hmm. just because the likelihood, uh, and I shouldn't even say likelihood, but it's just different. Like, like, like there in, in, in those hill country and mountain country of, of, uh, you know, Eastern Ohio, you know, there deer 
don't bed in the same place every day. It's not random. It seems random, but it's not. They do things for a reason, I think. But, uh, you know, they, they, they hopscotch a little bit more than they would in areas with fewer bedding options. It's just there. It's just, just endless cover, endless train. So, so when I say I'm not as worried about pressuring deer, that's not true. But I'm not as worried about hunting stands repeatedly in those areas because oftentimes that's what it takes to intercept deer you know finding where those good stand locations are and then hunting them repeatedly you know smart you still want to you know hunt it smart but repeatedly to increase the odds of catching deer in those high odds areas pinch points funnels whatnot whatever type great stand location it is but but definitely during this off season when it comes to finding those stand locations that you're, they're going to you know decide on as your permanent stands determine whether you think or not it's going to be a good entry and exit route if it's not you know it's probably not going to be a good spot but the good thing is is you can figure that out now you can go you know if you know where you're typically bed go to those bedding areas late if you find a bed lay down in it look back toward where you're wanting to hang tree stands and see what they see you know yeah. this time of year it's 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 you know and that's something i learned from dan infall he's, he's he's you know he's been teaching that for years so that's a good idea you don't, Going into those bedding areas, finding the actual beds that are used frequently, which are probably going to be used um, by your more mature deer, especially in the best spots. Lay down, see what they see. You might just realize, oh, they're seeing me come up this hollow or coming down this trail or whatever it is. And you've got trail cameras in the area, and they always seem to be in there when you're not. But when you're there, they're not. So, you know, oftentimes that's what it is. They're seeing you, hearing you, or smelling you come through there uh, on your way to that stand or, or whatever it might be. But uh, definitely – figure out what stands have good entry routes, good exit routes. Um, and, and the good news is if in certain situations you can create a good entry route. So, you know, so yeah. if it's a property you own, you can plant something like miscanthus or, 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 or Egyptian weed or something that shields you, especially if the problem is, is visually, uh, you can't do much about audible and, um, you know, you know, wind and scent, stuff like that. But uh, other than just find a new route or find a new stand location, but definitely something to think about as you're scouting during the postseason and then getting your permanent historical stand locations ready for the following year. Love it, man, man. These are all great tips, great tips, you know, things to think about this time of year for all you listeners, you know, these are definitely, definitely things that need to be done. So well, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast with me today. You know, just getting to pick your brain on essentially what to do this time of year. I know a lot of people are probably thinking about turkey hunting and you know family vacations coming up in the summer and stuff. But I think for a lot of us, I know specifically yourself and me as well, these are the things we're thinking about right now. Like, yeah, turkey hunting's coming up, but man, this is this is the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about and gearing up and getting ready for the 22-23 season. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck to you and everybody out there who are, who are getting ready for, for this coming fall. And there you have it, everybody. We just want to thank Josh for hopping on the podcast with us and talking deer, deer hunting, scouting tips and tactics, and we really hope that you all learned something from this and learned something from Josh. If you want to find out more about Josh or maybe you have questions you want to ask him yourself, head on over to Instagram. His handle is just at Josh double underscore Honeycut. So if y'all want to get in touch with him, pick his brain a little bit more, head on over there, follow him, and send him a message. And if you've got some questions for us or you've got a topic idea that you want us to cover, send us an email. Send that on over to podcast at huntstand.com. That way, make sure your voice is heard. But we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to an episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we will see you on the next one.